We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 377 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Tuesday, August 16th, 2022. And do not tell me what happened. Please, do not tell me what happened. Uh, Monday night, the series finale of Better Call Saul. One of the best television shows ever. Uh, A spinoff of another one. Of the best television shows ever, Breaking Bad. I did not watch the series finale of Better Call Saul. Truth be told, we haven't even started this final season. We're way behind, okay? We've been playing catch-up on another great show, Snowfall. Uh, So please, pretty please, with a cherry on top, uh, do not tell me what happened in the series finale of Better Call Saul. But hello and welcome to this Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, which as of late night on Monday night, as the series finale of Better Call Saul was airing, was the number 39 podcast in the country on Apple Podcasts in the U.S. football category. In the country. Uh, Thank you very much for that. Uh, That is a credit to you, so thank you. Uh, We have a lot to discuss on this installment of the podcast. Fallout. A whole lot of fallout from the Commanders' preseason opening 23-21 loss to the Carolina Panthers at FedEx Field this past Saturday afternoon. Rod Rivera, at his post-training camp practice press conference on Monday afternoon, spent a good bit of time discussing various Commanders' items from the game and discussing uh, various things regarding the state of the Commanders right now. And so next segment, I have a supersized jacked up, maybe even roided up commander segment for you. I can't tell you if the segment is on steroids or not. I can tell you, though, that like Fernando Tatis Jr., the segment recently had a case of ringworm that needed to be treated with a special medication. But anyway, yes, next segment, a supersized commander segment. Uh, I will celebrate the good commander's news of Monday, the activation of Cornelius Lucas off the active non-football injury list. Uh, I will examine the injury-marred states of the commander's offensive line 
and tight end group, uh, including some good stuff, not only from Ron, uh, but also Wes Schweitzer via post-practice press conference on Monday afternoon. I will get into the location of Scott Turner this past Saturday afternoon on the sideline, as opposed to up in a booth, and you'll hear Ron address that. Uh, I will discuss various metrics regarding the performances of Carson Wentz and Sam Howell against the Panthers. Uh, I'll tell you who the highest graded commander's player for Pro Football Focus was for the game against the Panthers, and much more. Uh, Always no, ain't no show that covers the commanders like this show, and a big segment coming up next segment. Uh, Also on the show, the Nationals. uh, A win on Monday night. Yeah, the Nats won. uh, A 5-4 win over the Chicago Cubs at Nationals Park on Monday night as we had the Nats major league debut of the top prospect who the Nats got from the San Diego Padres in the Juan Soto Josh Bell trade, C.J. Abrams. Uh, We also had a stone-cold performance, an onions performance from Josiah Gray. You know how Bill Raftery likes to say, onions! Onions! Yes, thank you, Bill. Onions! Onions! Yes, thank you, Bill. Uh, Josiah Gray on Monday night demonstrated onions, I shall explain. Uh, And we on Monday night for the Nats had major offensive heroics from Nelson Cruz. Yes, Nelly Cruz. Maybe the single most disappointing Nat this season, but he on Monday night had a two-run double and a tie-breaking solo home run. And I'll talk Orioles, uh, who like the Nats, won on Monday night a 7-3 win at the Toronto Blue Jays. The Blue Jays destroyer, Ryan Mountcastle, another impressive game against the Blue Jays, uh, as the O's now are just a game and a half behind the Blue Jays and Tampa Bay Rays for the American League's second wild card spot. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Billy D in NC on a potential one-syllable nickname for the Commanders. You know, finding a good one-syllable nickname for the Commanders has become like finding the Holy Grail. Uh, We have discussed this search quite a bit on the podcast. Uh, Writes Billy, love the podcast. Keep up the great work. Uh, Thank you, Billy. Continues Billy. Like you, I have been giving thought to what is a possible one-syllable nickname for our commanders. It is difficult to produce one that is a shortened form of commanders or Washington, but nicknames do not always have to be shortened forms of real names. Uh, Take, for instance, Habs for the Montreal Canadiens or Dubs for the Golden State Warriors. So with that in mind, I started thinking. Commanders are usually the highest-ranking military people. Well, often in the military, the top ranks are called the brass. How about the brass as our one-syllable nickname for the commanders? And if you shorten brass to the last three letters, you get a fitting description of our current owner. What do you think? Billy, my friend, uh, that's actually kind of (laughs) brilliant. Email from Andrew Sly on the Jason Wright-Scott Abraham situation. Writes Andrew, totally agree with your insights regarding Scott Abraham. Scott is not a hire who came to D.C. from a far-off media market. 
He cut his teeth at WBOC in Salisbury, Maryland. You could tell he had talent and knew he was going places. While he covered the major sports, he also spent an inordinate amount of time engaging with all of the local high schools in Delmarva. He would cover the games, go into the stands, and would fire up the student sections. Athletes in Delmarva would have never gotten that same exposure as students in the DMV. Uh, Scott had a lot to do with promoting athletes and getting their names out there. As a guidance counselor on the shore at the time in which Scott Abraham was there, I can attest to his impact on many athletes, uh, helping them get a shot that they otherwise may not have gotten. Though I never met him personally, those I knew who did meet him had a tremendous amount of respect for him. This is a snapshot of why the commander's front office is still evolving into a professional organization. The question was direct but fair and not worded or voiced in a confrontational manner. As team president, Jason Wright needs to build relationships with the media, not limit access. He should be thinking about how media members can help him build the brand, not how they are being critical toward the brand. The team needs all of the allies it can get. Uh, Thank you for the email, Andrew. So, first of all, when it comes to that question from Scott Abraham of Carson Wentz that drew the ire of Jason Wright, and also drew the ire of plenty of Commanders fans, as I have said, Scott certainly could have worded the question uh, with more of a bedside manner, okay? Like, I don't think it's unfair to say that the question was worded in a bit of an overly harsh way. The question itself was fair, and yes, the question itself perhaps has been asked already quite a bit, although I don't know that that specific question has been asked quite a bit. The question being, do you view being the commander starting quarterback as your last true shot at being an NFL starting quarterback? But yeah, I mean, to say that, you know, Philly didn't want you, Indy didn't want you. I mean, that was a bit stiff, no doubt. When it comes to Jason Wright, so he has built relationships with members of the media. Uh, He has spoken with a lot of members of the media. He has been interviewed by a lot of members of the media. Uh, He is active on Twitter, as we now know quite well. Uh, Heck, Jason follows me on Twitter. What I think is happening with Jason Wright, though, is that reality has settled in. Uh, You know, this Wednesday, August 17th, will mark the two-year anniversary of Washington hiring Jason as team president. Uh, Yeah, he now has been the team president for two years. The honeymoon is over. The sparkle is off. And the reality of a number of things under his purview having gone wrong has emerged. And we've discussed these things. Uh, The Sean Taylor number 21 retirement debacle. Uh, Jason's Christmas night Dallas Cowboys urination tweet. Uh, the low-energy rollout of the name commanders, Crestgate, commandlegacy.com, etc. You know, you'll notice that Jason, over the last few months, has not done too many interviews. He has not been out there so much. And I don't think that that's coincidental, okay? Things haven't exactly been going swimmingly for close to 12 months now. And that's not to say that nothing's going well. Uh, He did do a session with reporters this past Saturday at FedEx Field prior to Commander's Panthers, and he, during that session, said that the team is doing very well in terms of sponsorship revenue. Uh, Okay, I mean, we have no way of knowing if that's true, but if so, uh, good for him and good for the team. And I mean that. I want the team to do well. But do you know what else happened with Jason during this session with reporters this past Saturday? He referred to the workplace misconduct scandal 
and other negative items from the team's past as, quote, the ghosts of Christmas past, end quote. Uh, Now, I don't think that Jason meant any harm in using that phrase, but I do know that multiple victims in the workplace misconduct scandal are not at all happy about him having used that phrase, the ghosts of Christmas past. Uh, The phrase came off as dismissive, even though, again, I don't think that Jason meant harm by the phrase. I don't think that Jason meant to be dismissive. But a lot of things over which Jason Wright presides, a lot of things under Jason's watch, a lot of things for which Jason is responsible have not gone well. Uh, Now, those things haven't all necessarily been all of his fault, but they haven't gone well. And so I do think that his tweet at Scott Abraham this past Friday morning may well have been a function of all of this. Uh, Jason's no longer just going to be Mr. Nice Guy because he, over the last 10 months, really starting with the Sean Taylor number 21 retirement debacle in October, has started to take a lot of heat. Well, if you are looking to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, if anyone who you know is looking to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, know that the heat is on. Uh, now is the time to buy. And so that's why you got to get with Kellen Hunt. If you are on the hunt for a home in the D.C. area, get with Kellen Hunt. Visit closeitwithkell.com. That's closeitwithkell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs, and make sure that you tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. If you want to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, but are unsure whether now is the time to buy a home, know this, now is the time. Uh, It has been a crazy last few months in real estate, no doubt. But as was detailed in the Washington Post recently, there right now is a real estate market shift taking place, giving the upper hand to buyers. The window for buying a home is opening. Buyers have faced crazy competition for homes over the last few years, oftentimes losing out on homes. Well, the rising mortgage rates mean that the market now is not as competitive and inventory is starting to rise. Houses are sitting longer and we are starting to see price reductions, all good signs for buyers. Now is the time to capitalize on this. Visit closeitwithkell.com. That's closeitwithkell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. Kellen Hunt has his finger on the pulse of developments all around the Washington, D.C. area. He is a DMV native. He lives and breathes the culture of the area. He has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to local neighborhoods and economical development and schools and market conditions and all that makes the Washington, D.C. area unique. And Kellen Hunt closes deals. He wins. He is here for you to listen to what you want and then get you what you want, no matter your age, family situation, or financial situation. Kellen Hunt can help you. He is a real estate agent for real people, and Kellen Hunt is willing to put a portion of his commission back in your pocket. Yet, you, the buyer, get a piece of the action. Who doesn't want some extra money right now? Give it inflation. Kellen Hunt knows what buyers like you are facing, and he wants to help. So visit closeitwithkell.com. That's closeitwithkell, K-E-L-L.com. Book a call with Kellen Hunt to discuss your real estate needs, and make sure that you tell Kell that Al Galdi sent you. You have nothing to lose. Visit closeitwithkell.com. Book an introductory call with Kellen Hunt at closeitwithkell.com. If you are trying to buy a home in the Washington, D.C. area, you will do well 
by going with Kel. Visit closeitwithkel.com and tell Kel that Al Galdi sent you. All right, let's get into what went on at Commander's Training Camp at the team's headquarters in Ashburn, Virginia on Monday. Uh, You know, this week technically is the last week of 2022 Commander's Training Camp, although that doesn't really mean a ton. Uh, The team is going to continue practicing, but Thursday technically uh, is the last day of 2022 Commander's Training Camp. Uh, The team has been conducting its full training camp practices in the mornings. Uh, That will resume being the case Tuesday through Thursday, but the Commanders on Monday held their full training camp practice in the afternoon. Uh, We on Monday had a Monday afternoon training camp practice off their having been at no practice on Sunday off the team having had its preseason opener on Saturday afternoon of the 23-21 preseason opening loss to the Carolina Panthers at FedEx Field. Also on Monday afternoon for the Commanders was some good news. The team announced that offensive tackle Cornelius Lucas had passed his physical and had been activated off the active non-football injury list. Uh, The Commanders on July 26th, uh, the day on which players reported for Commanders training camp, had placed Lucas on the active non-football injury list. Uh, Why? We do not know. Uh, There has been some mystery here with this Cornelius Lucas situation. I tell you, I actually was starting to get a little worried about our guy Cornelius Lucas. Like, dude, you know, I hope you're doing okay. Uh, But yes, uh, he now is back, and he on Monday afternoon was practicing, and he actually was taking first-team reps at left tackle uh, with the team's usual starting left tackle, Charles Leno Jr., being given a Veterans Day. Uh, To me, one of the more underrated transactions by the commanders in the 2022 offseason was them re-signing Cornelius Lucas. Uh, The commanders this past March 24th officially announced the re-signing of Lucas, who had been an unrestricted free agent. Cornelius Lucas has been a very valuable player for Washington over his two seasons with the team. Washington in March 2020 signed Lucas as an unrestricted free agent to a two-year contract. Lucas in the 2020 season was Washington's starting left tackle for eight regular season games and for the loss to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at FedEx Field in the wildcard round of the playoffs. Uh, He missed two games due to an ankle injury. Lucas for that 2020 regular season registered a pass blocking grade for pro football focus of 83.1. Uh, ranking tied for number 10 among offensive tackles in the NFL, each with at least 200 pass blocking snaps in the 2020 regular season. Uh, PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Uh, Lucas in the 2020 regular season played on 536 of Washington's offensive snaps and yet committed a mere one penalty. And then Lucas in the 2021 regular season played in 15 games with seven starts. Uh, All seven of his starts came at right tackle as Samuel Cosme played in just nine of Washington's 17 regular season games. Uh, Lucas for the 2021 regular season registered an overall grade for pro football focus of 75.2. And Lucas in the 2021 regular season played on 587 of Washington's offensive snaps and yet committed a mere one penalty. Uh, This season will be Cornelius Lucas's age 31 season. He is a mammoth offensive tackle. The commanders list him as being 6'8", and 327 pounds. And uh, I'm very happy that the commanders re-signed this guy. Uh, Like I said, he's been a very valuable player for Washington 
over the last two seasons. Uh, while we're talking about a key offensive lineman for the Commanders, uh, what about their offensive line in the loss to the Panthers on Saturday afternoon? Uh, among those who did not play in the game for the Commanders due to injury were a number of Commanders offensive linemen. Uh, center Chase Rulier did not play in the game as he's coming off having suffered a fractured left fibula and damage to his left ankle in the loss at the Denver Broncos this past Halloween. Uh, right guard Trey Turner did not play in the game as he's dealing with a quadriceps injury. Uh, Cornelius Lucas did not play in the game as he was still on that active non-football injury list. Uh, center Tyler Larson did not play in the game as he is on the active, physically unable to perform list uh, due to an Achilles injury that he suffered in the loss to the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field this past December 12th. And tackle slash guard Sadiq Charles uh, did not play in the game, as it feels like Sadiq is always hurt. Uh, he just has had a really hard time staying healthy. Uh, Commander's head coach Ron Rivera on Monday afternoon did a post-practice press conference. Here he was on the performance of the Commander's offensive line on Saturday afternoon. I thought it was solid. I thought it was tough. I thought they did a good thing. Um, I thought they gave our quarterbacks time. And, and that's one of the things that you want is you want to be able to have lines that you know, doesn't matter what quarterback's in there, they have an opportunity to throw the ball. And, and operate the, the offense. And, and, and because they did that, that was really good. Um, you know, uh, we didn't have, you know, we didn't have Chase out there uh, at center with our, with our number one group. And so, um, you know, I, I, again, I, I thought the group still played very well. They, they really did. And it just shows you what Keith's value is to us. You know, last year, Keith coming in as our fourth center, playing as much as he did, you know, now with, 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 with Chase out, um, with Tyler out, you know, Keith has been getting a lot of reps. He's showing us what, he's, what he can do. I thought Andrew played very well, um, as, did, as did Wes at the right tackle. I thought Cosme had a good game, very good showing. Leno's getting really close to, to in-season form already. I mean, he's had a very good camp, and, and, and those five guys were, were, were stout. Um, and then the young guys getting opportunities to, to, to play a little bit. I thought some of them did really well. I thought Chris Paul was, was, was stout. I mean, he was very, very stout. You know, I know on the on the on the on the pump and go, a lot of people's going to give him the sack. But on that one, Sam could have taken his drop a little bit deeper, and that way, when when Chris made a stand, it wasn't like, oh, there he is, and the guy just reached out and get a sack. But I thought Chris did play a very good game, and, and he's an exciting young player to watch. All right, so notable that Rod Rivera right there made it a point to praise Chris Paul. Uh, Chris Paul tied for number two on the commanders in offensive snaps in the game against the Panthers at 68%. Uh, the commanders took Tulsa offensive lineman Chris Paul in the seventh round of the 2022 NFL draft. Three things to know about Chris Paul. Uh, he is athletic, he is experienced, and he is versatile. Uh, Paul registered a relative athletic score and RAS of 9.46 out of 10. That ranked number 71 out of 1,298 offensive guard prospects from 1987 through 2022. Think about that. Uh, this guy, Kentley Platty, who I've had on the podcast, came up with relative athletic score, RAS. Uh, RAS simply grades a player's measurements and NFL scouting combine slash pro day metrics on a 0 to 10 scale compared to his peer group. And the idea is to give context to a player's height, weight, 40-yard dash time, bench press, vertical jump, broad jump, etc. 
Uh, so Chris Paul is athletic. Uh, he is experienced. Uh, Paul was at Tulsa for five seasons, 2017 through 2021. He redshirted for the 2017 season, but Paul was a four-year starter for Tulsa. And Paul is versatile. Uh, he for Tulsa played right guard, left guard, right tackle, and left tackle. Uh, he primarily played right guard, left guard, and right tackle. Uh, I mentioned Trey Turner. So he does remain out with this quadriceps injury. He's supposed to be the team starting right guard, and maybe he will be the team starting right guard, but he's still out with this quad injury. Uh, the man who has been serving as the commander starting right guard is Wes Schweitzer. He, on Monday afternoon, did a post-practice press conference. Wes really has emerged as a valuable interior offensive lineman for the team. Uh, the Redskins signed Wes as an unrestricted free agent in March 2020. He, over the last two regular seasons, has started 18 games. Uh, he has started games for Washington at both right guard and center. Uh, here was Wes on Monday afternoon on whether he's viewing himself as potentially being the commander's starting right guard. I, I really don't think about it. You know, I just take every rep one play at a time, try my best whatever spot I'm at, whatever position I'm at, that's how I've played my whole career. Just try to make the most of my uh, my time. All right. The politically correct answer, but of course, the right answer. Uh, Wes Schweitzer on Monday afternoon on how difficult it is to toggle between playing guard and playing center. I think it's I think it's very difficult. I mean, you can look at rosters along the league, like how many people can start at all three interior spots and do well. You know, so the Carolina game last year, I never started a game at center. I'm in the game playing. We played well. We won the game, you know, so I, I take a lot of pride in that. Um, I don't think there's, I don't know if there's anyone that could do that at all three spots, you know, so I take a lot of pride in that. Yeah, like I said, Wes Schweitzer really has emerged as a valuable interior offensive lineman for Washington. And, you know, we earlier in the segment talked about Cornelius Lucas. Lucas and Schweitzer, each guy signed by the Redskins in March 2020 as an unrestricted free agent. Each signing was an under-the-radar free agent signing, and yet each signing has proven to be uh, quite valuable for the team. Uh, so the commanders have been dealing with injury along the offensive line, but no position group on the team has been hit harder by injuries than tight end. Uh, among the commanders players who did not play against the Panthers on Saturday afternoon due to injury or were limited due to injury were four key tight ends. Uh, Logan Thomas did not play in the game as he is on the active physically unable to perform list uh, due to a torn ACL, MCL, and meniscus that he suffered in the win at the Las Vegas Raiders last December 5th. Uh, John Bates did not play in the game as he's dealing with a calf injury. Cole Turner did not play in the game as he's dealing with a hamstring injury. And while Samus Reyes did play in the game, he played on zero offensive snaps and on just two special team snaps due to a hamstring ailment. Uh, I mentioned Sadiq Charles uh, being someone who is like constantly hurt. Samus Reyes is someone who is like constantly hurt. And so we on Saturday afternoon saw a whole lot of two undrafted rookie tight ends in Armani Rogers and Curtis Hodges. Uh, Rogers had three receptions for 12 yards on five targets in playing on 38% of the commander's offensive snaps. Uh, all three of his catches came on one drive of uh, the commander's second offensive drive, which resulted in a running back 
Antonio Gibson's first quarter loss fumble. Armani Rogers is an undrafted rookie out of Ohio. He in a five-season collegiate career 2017 through 2021 uh, was a quarterback at both UNLV and Ohio and also was used in offensive packages in other ways. And Curtis Hodges, uh, he on Saturday afternoon had three receptions for 11 yards on five targets in playing on a team high 71% of the commander's offensive snaps. Yeah, no commander's player on Saturday afternoon played on more of the team's offensive snaps than Curtis Hodges did. Uh, Hodges is an undrafted rookie out of Arizona State. The commanders list him as being 6'8 and 240 pounds. Uh, Washington, in its cut down to 53 for the 2021 regular season, kept four tight ends on the 53-man roster. Logan Thomas, John Bates, Ricky Seals-Jones, and Samus Reyes. Uh, Ron Rivera on Tuesday afternoon on whether having so many tight ends banged up and seeing Armani Rogers and Curtis Hodges shine are making Ron consider, again, keeping more than three tight ends on the team's initial 53-man roster. It most certainly has, has, has been a call for a lot of conversation with us because they're getting a lot of opportunities. Um, and right now, for both of them, it doesn't look too big. I, I think that the young guys have, have done a great job. You know, I hope Cole, we can get Cole back in a week or two and get him a chance to play in one of these games. Um, and so, you know, he can get a feel for what it's going to be like when it's out there. One of the things that was really evident going back to watching the tape was on for some of, for some of our rookies, uh, the speed caught them off guard, especially on special teams. They didn't quite understand it. And as they started to progress in the, in the game, you could see them be a little bit more and more comfortable. Um, and that's really important, and, and especially for a guy like Cole Turner who's going to get an opportunity. That's why you got to get guys like that back out there so they can get a feel and a sense for what that speed's like. All right. Uh, notable that Ron Rivera in that cut said that he's hoping to get Cole Turner back in a week or two. Uh, that's not ideal uh, that Turner, a rookie, could be out for another week or two, uh, if not more. Much more on the Commanders in moments, including some advanced stats on the performances of Commanders quarterbacks against the Panthers. But when it comes to performance in a courtroom, ain't no law firm better than Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611, and when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace treats its clients with respect and dignity and wants what is best for the firm's clients. Paulson and Nace will treat you, your family, and your situation with the care and expertise that you deserve. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. Heck, just last month, Paulson and Nace won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly $1.8 million. Uh, This to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Uh, You may have read about this. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government and won. Uh, I can't emphasize this enough, man. If you have a case contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule 
a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. More now on the Commanders off their preseason opening loss to the Panthers. Uh, did you notice who was on the Commanders sideline at FedEx Field on Saturday afternoon? Offensive coordinator Scott Turner. Uh, that was new. Scott, in each of his first two seasons as Washington offensive coordinator, called plays from a booth. Uh, Scott, on Saturday afternoon, was on the sideline. Uh, now, as you may recall, Ron Rivera during his postgame press conference on Saturday afternoon said that he really liked the rhythm that Scott and quarterback Carson Wentz got into during the commander's first touchdown drive, uh, what was a 14-play, 82-yard drive that consumed 7 minutes, 35 seconds off the clock, uh, resulted in running back Brian Robinson Jr.'s second quarter, third and goal, one-yard shotgun handoff touchdown run. And so this was Ron on Tuesday afternoon on whether he expects Scott Turner in the 2022 regular season to call plays from commander's sidelines. I think so. You know, um, plus, you know, when, when he talks to the quarterback, now it's, it's direct conversation. It really is. Um, and, and I think that really helps him, uh, helps them both. And, and I, I kind of like that. I thought, you know, he had a really good feel. I, I really did. Because when you don't have where you're sitting there looking at the play clock and just, you know, we're going to delay a game, that tells you, hey, there's a rhythm. They're, they're, they're both on the same page. It's easy for him to make the call one time and it goes directly to the, to the, to the quarterback as well. Um, you know, I think that's a big part of it is, uh, in terms of the communications. Yeah, you know, there is no right answer for whether an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator is better off being on a team's sideline or in a booth. Uh, you can have success either way. You may remember this. Uh, then Redskins offensive coordinator Sean McVay uh, during the 2016 season went from calling plays on sidelines to calling plays in booths. Uh, he made that switch during that 2016 regular season. Uh, Carson Wentz against the Panthers was solid. 10 of 13 for 74 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. He took no sacks. He had no carries. Uh, he played for three offensive drives, played into the second quarter, played on 32% of the commander's offensive snaps. Something that was especially notable with Carson to me was this. Carson against the Panthers per true media averaged 2.38 seconds from snap to throw. Uh, he, per true media for the 2021 regular season, averaged 2.67 seconds from snap to throw. So at least this past Saturday afternoon, Carson was substantially quicker from snap to throw as compared to last season. Now, you have to say a few things. Uh, a, preseason game, no game planning, or at the very least, minimal game planning. How relevant anything is, is up for debate. B, a major reason, maybe even the principal reason for Carson's average time to throw being down as compared to his average time to throw for last season was him throwing short. Uh, Carson on Saturday afternoon threw for just 74 yards. He averaged just 5.69 yards per pass attempt. But this has been a fear of having Carson as the commander starting quarterback that he holds onto balls for lengthy periods of time and that puts a heavy stress on the offensive line. Well, at least on Saturday afternoon, Carson showed that he could get rid of balls quickly and complete passes. Again, 
He went 10 of 13, and he did have some chunk yardage completions. Uh, Carson had a first quarter, first and 10, 16 yard shotgun completion to receiver Terry McLaurin. Carson had a second quarter, third and four, 15 yard shotgun completion to running back J.D. McKissick, who was wide open over the middle. But of course, no commander's quarterback on Saturday afternoon generated more chunk yardage plays than Sam Howell. Uh, He played for the entire second half, played on 45% of the commander's offensive snaps. He went 9-16 for 145 yards, no touchdowns, and no interceptions. He took two sacks, and he had three carries for 19 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Whereas Carson Wentz on Saturday afternoon averaged 5.69 yards per pass attempt, Sam Howell on Saturday afternoon averaged 9.06 yards per pass attempt. Not that you should put a lot of stock in yards per pass attempt stats from an NFL team's preseason opener, but I bring this up just to highlight the big play nature of Sam Howell's performance against the Panthers. What's funny about Sam's performance, though, is that it was not graded so favorably by Pro Football Focus. Uh, PFF charged Sam with two turnover-worthy plays and actually gave him the lowest overall grade for the game among the commander's three quarterbacks. Uh, Carson Wentz's overall PFF grade for the game was 63.3. Taylor Heineke's overall PFF grade for the game was 56.4. And Sam Howell's overall PFF grade for the game was 44.5. So go figure. Uh, Here was Ron Rivera on Tuesday afternoon on the commander's quarterback's room. You know, it's a very good room, you know, and, and, and I'd invite you to come and sit down and watch it someday. Please. Um, but it, 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 when you watch it and you see the, the, the dynamics between the three of them, you see the dynamics of them with the coaches, it's really good. It really is. You know, Sam's attentive. He sits in. He asks good questions. Oh, I will say that. Um, and, but the other two guys, really, they, they feed off of each other as well. And Sam does get involved. It's not like he's just, he's, he just sits there. He, he, he contributes. And it's, uh, it's good. It really is. And, and, and that's kind of what you hope for. And, and as far as Taylor's concerned, that, that, that I've seen Taylor in that role before. And I've seen how he's handled it with, with such poise, such class, and always prepared. So I, I, like, I, I like where we are with that, those three guys. I really do. Yeah, and the three roles for the commander's three quarterbacks seem set in stone. You know, Carson Wentz is the QB1, Taylor Heineke is the QB2, Sam Howell is the QB3. We haven't had even a hint of deviation from that hierarchy. And actually, the question on Monday afternoon that prompted that answer from Ron Rivera that I just played for you was about this season being a developmental season for Sam Howell. Uh, Nothing that Ron Rivera or Scott Turner has said has indicated that this season will be anything other than a developmental season for Sam Howell. Uh, Now, if both Carson Wentz and Taylor Heineke suffer serious injuries, well, uh, then all bets are off. And of course, uh, we know a thing or two about serious quarterback injuries in these parts. Uh, We also know a thing or two about quarterback instability uh, in these parts. Washington has started at least three different quarterbacks in each of the last four regular seasons. I mean, that is an undeniable reality with this team. 2018, Alex Smith, Colt McCoy, Mark Sanchez, and Josh Johnson. 2019, Case Keenum, Colt McCoy, and Dwayne Haskins. 2020, Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen, and Alex Smith. And then Taylor Heineke, if you count the postseason. And 2021, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Taylor Heineke, and Garrett Gilbert. So who the heck knows what awaits us at the quarterback position for the commander's 
in the 2022 season. Uh, a few other items for the Commanders off their preseason opening loss to the Panthers at FedEx Field on Saturday afternoon. Receiver Jahan Dotson uh, not targeted in playing on 32% of the Commanders' offensive snaps. Ron Rivera on Monday afternoon on what he saw from Jahan Dodson on Saturday afternoon. Well, it's, it's, it's that one thing that we talked about is that, you know, I want to see the ball get spread around. And as far as Jahan's concerned, if he'd played a few more snaps, he probably would have had a, had, had a ball or two thrown to him. So it's coming. It's coming. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but personally, I read absolutely nothing into Jahan Dodson not being targeted on Saturday afternoon. Uh, The commander's defense, Ron Rivera on Monday afternoon, had high praise for how interior defensive lineman Jonathan Allen played against the Panthers. Take a listen. I thought Jonathan played well. I really did. I thought, thought for the most part, he and Deron really, for, for what we need them to do, they did it. I mean, they got vertical into the creases. They hold to the point. Every now and then they got a little discipline, pop their gap a little bit. Um, both of them did do that. But I thought they were very stout, the two of them. And, and that, that's what we're looking for. Gave Cole a chance to run. It, 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 it gave Jamin a chance to run and, and get to where they needed to be. And that's what you want. You want guys that can get vertical, get into the crease, demand you know, that there is a double. And, and as soon as that double comes off, they came alive. And that's what you're looking for. That's what we hope to get from our tackles. Yeah, and of course, a new defensive tackle for the team is Fedarian Mathis. Uh, the Commanders took Alabama interior defensive lineman at Fedarian Mathis in the second round of the 2022 NFL Draft. Uh, Mathis on Monday afternoon did a post-practice press conference. Here he was on what he's learning from his fellow Alabama products, Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne. Uh, just really learning how to be a pro. Uh, just watching how those, how those guys come to practice, how they work hard, uh, you know, how they take the game serious, uh, you know, just just watching how they, they leadership and just, you know, just falling in line and you know, just being right behind those guys and, and just trying to learn, learn from them every day. Yeah, Fedarian Mathis, another experienced player who the Commanders took in the 2022 draft. He was a player at Alabama for five seasons, 2017 through 2021. And I've mentioned some of the pro football focus grades from the preseason opening loss to the Panthers. The Commanders player who earned the highest overall grade for PFF for his performance in the game was defensive back Stephen Parker, who certainly stood out if you watched the game. Uh, Parker earned an overall grade of 90.8, which is excellent. I mean, again, PFF grades are on a scale of 0 to 100. Uh, Parker was number four on the commanders in defensive snaps in the game at 44%. He had a team-high two pass defenses. And what's kind of funny about this is that the commanders just signed Stephen Parker. Uh, They signed him as an unrestricted free agent on August 7th. Uh, He has bounced around the NFL. He entered the NFL in April 2018 as an undrafted free agent out of Oklahoma with the Los Angeles Rams. Up next, I'm talking Nationals, who on Monday night beat the Chicago Cubs 5-4 at Nationals Park in come-from-behind fashion. Uh, We had the Major League Nats debut of shortstop C.J. Abrams, the top prospect to the Nats got from the San Diego Padres in the trading away of right fielder Juan Soto and first baseman Josh Bell. But we, on Monday night, also had a very encouraging start from Josiah Gray, and we had a turn-back-the-clock performance from D.H. Nelson Cruz. We'll get to all of that and more from a feel-good night at Nationals Park after this. 
Well, if you're like me, you like coffee, and coffee is a part of your routine. I drink coffee before every workout, and I'm a big fan of Trade Coffee, which right now is offering something very special to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. More on that offer in moments. But Trade Coffee tastes great, and Trade Coffee comes from a great place. Trade Coffee sends you freshly roasted beans from 60 of the country's best craft roasters, small businesses that pay farmers fair prices to sustainably source the greatest beans from around the world. So buying Trade Coffee gets you delicious coffee and supports small businesses and farmers. And here's maybe the best part. Trade Coffee tailors its coffee to you. Uh, You complete a very brief coffee quiz, and you get your own personalized variety of coffees delivered fresh to you as often as you like. No gimmicks. Uh, Trade Coffee delivers a bag of freshly roasted coffee as whole beans or ground for however you brew your coffee at home. And Trade Coffee guarantees that you'll love your first order, or Trade Coffee will replace your order for free. Trade Coffee is a great model. There's no one perfect coffee but there is a perfect coffee for you. And so here's a special offer for listeners of this podcast. Trade Coffee is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off first orders plus free shipping. Just go to drinktrade.com slash algaldi. Drinktrade.com slash algaldi. Take the quiz and let Trade Coffee find you the coffee that you'll love. Again, off. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Visit drinktrade.com slash algaldi for $30 off. That's drinktrade.com slash algaldi for $30 off. One more time, visit drinktrade.com slash algaldi for $30 off. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, don't ever say that the baseball gods do not have a sense of humor. Monday night at Nationals Park, from a Nats perspective, was supposed to be all about the team's youth movement, the potential building blocks. Uh, We had the Nats Major League debut of shortstop C.J. Abrams, who was in his age 21 season. 
Uh, we had as an at-starting pitcher Josiah Gray, who was in his age 24 season. But who ended up being the biggest hero in the game? Designated hitter Nelson Cruz, who is in his age 41 season. Uh, I'm telling you, don't ever say that the baseball gods do not have a sense of humor. And don't ever say that the boys didn't win on Monday night because the boys did win on Monday night for Nats manager Davey Martinez. I'm proud of the boys. Yes, Davey. Uh, there you go. The Nats on Monday night beat the Chicago Cubs 5-4 in game one of a three-game series. So the Nats overcame a 3 nothing fifth inning deficit. Uh, the Nats in the 2022 regular season now are a major league worst 39 and 78. Uh, we will get to the old man, Nelson Cruz, having his first truly great game in seemingly forever. But what mattered the most for the Nats on Monday night was C.J. Abrams. So the Nats on Monday afternoon called up C.J. Abrams. They recalled shortstop C.J. Abrams from AAA Rochester. Uh, the Nats acquired Abrams via trade with the San Diego Padres as part of the six-player package for right fielder Juan Soto and first baseman Josh Bell on August 2nd. Uh, Abrams is the top prospect who the Nats got in that trade. The Padres took Abrams with the number six pick in the 2019 MLB draft out of a high school in Georgia. Uh, Baseball America now two Mondays ago, August 8th, ranked Abrams as the number 11 prospect in baseball. Also, Baseball America entering the 2022 season cited Abrams as being the best hitter in minor league baseball and having the best speed in minor league baseball. Uh, he hopefully is going to be the Nats starting shortstop for years to come, uh, not unlike another shortstop who the Nats once got via trade with the Padres' Trey Turner. Uh, Abrams on Monday night was the Nats starting shortstop and number seven batter. He went 0 for 4 with a strikeout and left two men on base. What was most interesting about his Nats major league debut was what happened with him in the field. Uh, so Abrams in the top of the fourth did commit a throwing here. Uh, this on a leadoff grounder by Fradmil Reyes as Abrams pulled a Luis Garcia in fielding a routine grounder while charging in and then making what I thought was a way too casual and Aaron throw to first base. Uh, Luis Garcia did that kind of thing all of the time at shortstop, turned a routine grounder into a throwing error. Well, Abrams did that on Monday night. But we then, in the top of the seventh, saw the good, the oh-so-good of C.J. Abrams defensively at shortstop. So the first instance of this actually came on a negative play for the Nats. Uh, Abrams in the Cubs' one-run seventh failed in an attempt at a diving stab of a Seiya Suzuki grounder up the middle for a two-out game-tying RBI single that tied the game at four as the ball went off Abrams' glove and into center field. But when I say failed, uh, it's all relative. Abrams was playing in a shift toward third base so that he even got to the baseball was impressive. And then Abrams in that Cubs one-run seventh made a really nice play for the third out, as he on a Fradmil Reyes grounder up the middle, fielded the ball while running toward right field and then in shallow center field, adjusted his body to make a strong throw to Luke Boyd at first base for the out. That was a really impressive defensive play by C.J. Abrams. Davey Martinez during his postgame press conference on Monday night on C.J. Abrams. 
No, he's, um, you know, I, I was watching his pre-pitch. You know, I watched the way he moves. Um, he was good. His angles were really, really, really good, which was which was awesome. And uh, he had some good swings at, at the play, you know. Look, with him and, and the other kid, Alex Call, you know, they just got here. Um, you know, they, they, they need some time. I mean, like I said, everything's brand new to them. Um, but I could tell the kid loves to play. Yeah, both of them do. And, and, I, and I love that about him already. So um, it's going to be a lot of fun with him. I mean, he's got, like I said, he's got potential to be really, really good and uh, you know but and you can see that so but like I said he he loves to play you know uh, we talked a little bit about him being here and he uh, he says he you know so far everybody's been great and you know and his teammates look like they like to have fun and um, so it's been good what do you see from him that you can tell he loves to play this is attitude, you know, the way the way I watched, you know, I watched the way he came out for the ground balls today. I didn't get to see him hit on the field, but he did he did his work in the cage, and I watched his routine, really good. And um, so, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, about not chasing, about getting the ball up a little bit, you know, in, in the zone, especially with two strikes. Um, I thought he did a good job of hanging in against that lefty. That lefty's pretty pretty tough on left-handed hitters, and um, he hung in there and hit the ball, you know, to the warning track. So, um, I thought he, I thought for the first day him being he had a good day yes he did uh make no mistake cj abrams is the nats starting shortstop moving forward uh, luis garcia is moving back to second base davey martinez has made that clear uh, the corresponding roster move to the nats on monday afternoon recalling abrams from AAA rochester was them placing garcia on the 10-day injured list retroactive to august 13th with a left groin strain uh, luis garcia at shortstop at the major league level in the 2022 regular season, a hideous minus 15 defensive run save. Uh, he struggled mightily defensively at shortstop. But keep this in mind, Garcia at second base at the major league level in the 2021 regular season had plus two defensive run saved. Uh, also, on Monday night for the Nats in this 5-4 win over the Cubs at Nationals Park uh, was a gutsy outing from Josiah Gray. Uh, like C.J. Abrams, Josiah Gray is someone who the Nats really need to pan out. Uh, like C.J. Abrams, the Nats acquired Josiah Gray as part of a trade in a fire sale. Uh, the Nats got Gray and catcher Kbert Ruiz from the Los Angeles Dodgers as the headline prospects in a crop of four prospects for starting pitcher Max Scherzer and shortstop Trey Turner in a trade that was finalized on July 31st, 2021. Josiah Gray has had a very up-and-down season. He, on Monday night, certainly wasn't great, but he certainly was more good than bad, and he was gutsy. Uh, Gray allowed three runs in six innings, uh, technically a quality start, although that does translate to an ERA of 450. But Gray, on Monday night, 10 strikeouts versus two walks. Uh, he gave up five hits, two homers, a triple, a double, and a single. So yes, two more homers given up by Gray, who in the 2022 regular season now has allowed a major league worst 31 home runs. And Gray now in 189 major league innings over the 2021 and 2022 regular seasons has allowed 50 home runs. I mean, the guy does have a serious home run problem. But here is what sticks with me regarding Josiah Gray on Monday night more than anything. So he threw 105 pitches, 67 strikes versus 38 balls. It was his last five pitches that were especially interesting. Davey Martinez in the top of the six with a runner on second, two outs, and Gray at 100 pitches came out to the mound. But Davey left Gray in the game. Gray responded by recording his 10th strikeout of the game, a five-pitch swinging strikeout 
of Patrick Wisdom for the third out. Uh, the strikeout also was Gray's 200th regular season strikeout as a Nat. But this was a Max Scherzer type of moment. This was an end your outing on a high note moment. Uh, Max was a master of this during his time with the Nats, and Josiah Gray did this on Monday night. Ended strong. Ended on a high note. Uh, some guts, some onions were on display by Josiah Gray with how he finished his outing. Uh, Davey Martinez, during his postgame press conference on Monday night, on his mound conversation with Josiah Gray. Yeah, it was uh, it was kind of a kind of a stressful moment, I think. <laughs> um, but it was good. I mean, uh, you know, he, he looked at me. He says, "Davey, I said, hey, um, you don't have to say a word." I said, "I just come out here, give you a little breather." I said, "You're going to finish this inning." I said, "You're the right guy." So go ahead and you know, get get a quick out here and let's go. And I just walked back and went back to the dugout. But um, it was for me, it was one of those growth moments, you know, that that I think he deserves. And uh, he was ready for. It. I was watching the way he was throwing the ball. He was throwing the ball really well still. I mean, still in the mid 90s, his slider was still good. Um, he was keeping the ball down. Yeah, and and when he can do that, I thought, you know, I said, hey, um, I think he he can get it out. I really do. So, and I left him out there. When you left the dugout, he immediately put his glove on his mouth. Was he kind of like talking to himself there? Did you hear him? Did he say anything? No, he was, I'm, I, you know, he always wants to stay in the game, you know. And, um, you know, I don't know what he was saying, but when I came out there, the only thing he said was Davey. And I said, hey, not to say anything, okay? I said, I'm not taking you out. I said, you're, you're, you're going to finish the inning. I said, this is, a, this is a, a very important moment for you and for us. So um, you could do it. I said, you know, so come on, let's go. Yeah, really cool moment for Josiah Gray on Monday night with that mound visit from Davey Martinez. As for the runs that Gray gave up on Monday night, he in the top of the first allowed two runs. Uh, Gray gave up a two-out solo homer to Ian Happ to right field for a one nothing Cubs lead. Uh, Gray gave up a two-out infield single to Seiya Suzuki despite a nice sliding and spinning stab of the grounder by third baseman Ildemaro Vargas. Uh, Davey Martinez did not challenge the play, but boy, did it look like Suzuki may have been out. And then Gray gave up a two-out opposite field RBI triple. Uh, to Fradmil Reyes off the right field wall for a 2-0 Cubs lead. Uh, right fielder Joey Manessis awkwardly fielded the ball while facing the wall, and the ball uh, ended up rolling a long way toward the infield. Uh, Joey Manessis can hit a fielding in the outfield, especially not so much his thing. Uh, Gray in the top of the fifth allowed a run uh, as he gave up a second home run to Ian Happ, gave up a two-out solo homer to Happ to the second deck in right field for a 3-0 Cubs lead. Uh, the homer went a projected 400 29 feet per stat cast. Uh, Josiah Gray now in the 2022 regular season, 22 starts, ERA of 479, but a strikeouts per nine innings of 10.42, which is really good. Uh, all right, now to the old man, uh, Nelson Cruz, Grandpa Nelly. Uh, so the Nats on Monday night did not do a ton offensively, but they did score four runs in the bottom of the fifth and did score the winning run in the bottom of the eighth. And Nelson Cruz played a big role in each inning. Uh, Cruz on Monday night was an ad-starting DH and number five batter. He went two for four with a solo homer and a two-run double. Uh, Cruz in the Nats four-run fifth, a two-out, two-run double down the left field line for a 4-3 Nats lead. And then Cruz in that Nats one-run eighth, a one-out tie-breaking solo homer to center field 
for a 5-4 Nats lead. Uh, the homer went a projected 396 feet for StatCast. This was Nelson Cruz's first home run since June 25th. I mean, think about that. Monday night was August 15th. Nelson Cruz's previous homer had come on June 25th. Uh, this was only Nelson Cruz's ninth home run in the 2022 regular season. Uh, the Nats on March 17th officially announced having agreed on a contract uh, with free agent D.H. Nelson Cruz. Uh, the deal is a one-year deal with a mutual option for 2023. The deal includes a $12 million salary for this season and then a $16 million salary or a $3 million buyout for next season. Uh, the signing, to me, made sense. I mean, I applauded the signing. Cruz had been a monster hitter for years. I figured that the Nats could parlay Cruz into being a trade ship. Uh, well, uh, that did not happen. The Nats could not even trade Cruz prior to the MLB trade deadline on August 2nd. He has been a major disappointment for the Nats this season. But, you know, everyone likes the guy. And so everyone is happy for Nelson Cruz with what he did on Monday night. Good for him. Uh, also coming through offensively for the Nats on Monday night was Yadiel Hernandez. Uh, Yadiel was the Nats starting left fielder and number four batter. He went two for three with an RBI single and another single. Uh, Yadiel in the bottom of the fourth had a leadoff single up the middle and Yadiel in that Nats four-run fifth, a two-out first pitch RBI single to right field to cut the Nats deficit to 3-2. And then with the Nats bullpen on Monday night, uh, three Nats relievers combined to allow one run in three innings. Hunter Harvey in the top of the seventh did give up a run on a double a walk and a single, but Carl Edwards Jr. tossed a perfect top of the eighth with two strikeouts, and Kyle Finnegan tossed a perfect top of the ninth for the save. Uh, game two for the Nats against the Cubs at Nationals Park Tuesday night at 7.05. Patrick Corbin, off having a start skipped, will be the Nats starting pitcher. Well, the Orioles right now are in the midst of back-to-back -back big three-game series in the American League wildcard race. Uh, the O's over the weekend did lose two or three games at the Tampa Bay Rays, but the O's on Monday night won game one of a three-game series at the Toronto Blue Jays. A 7-3 victory as the O's, Joe Angel, were back in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. Yes, Joe, the win column. Uh, the O's in the 2022 regular season now are 60 and 55 and now are just one and a half games behind both the Rays and Blue Jays for the American League second wildcard spot. Uh, the Rays and Jays are tied for the AL second wildcard spot. The Seattle Mariners now lead the AL wildcard standings. Uh, the O's on Monday night scored seven runs, totaled just eight hits, but drew six walks. And how about the sneaky smart move by O's manager, Brandon Hyde? Uh, Ryan McKenna and not Cedric Mullins was the Orioles starting center fielder and number one batter on Monday night. Uh, the Blue Jays starting pitcher for the game was lefty Yusei Kikuchi. Mullins came into the game with an OPS of just 568 against left-handed pitching in the 2022 regular season. Well, Brandon Hyde starting McKenna over Mullins paid off. McKenna on Monday night, three for five with an RBI double, another double, and a single. 
Uh, McKenna in the Orioles' one run first had a leadoff bloop double on a fly ball into no man's land in right field on an 0-2 pitch. McKenna in the Orioles' three-run fourth, a one-out RBI double to the left center field gap for a 5-2 Orioles lead, driving Yusei Kikuchi out of the game. Uh, He in the game allowed six runs, three earned in three into third innings. Uh, Brandon Hyde looked rather smart with what he did on Monday night, going with McKenna over Mullins. Uh, Also, the Blue Jays killer, the Blue Jays assassin, Ryan Mountcastle, he struck again. I don't know why, but I do know what. And the what is that Ryan Mountcastle tortures the Blue Jays. He crushes Blue Jays pitching, and he was at it again on Monday night. So Mountcastle returned from a one-game absence of having gotten hit by a pitch on his left hand slash wrist. He has the Orioles starting first baseman at number four batter, went one for three with a two-run homer and two walks. Uh, Mountcastle in the Orioles, one run first, drew a one-out nine-pitch walk, despite having been down to the count at 1.02. Mountcastle in the Orioles, two-run third, a two-out first pitch, two-run homer to the second deck in left field for a 3 nothing Orioles lead. The homer went a projected 417 feet per stat cast. And Mountcastle in the Orioles, one run fifth, a leadoff seven-pitch walk. A really good game for Ryan Mountcastle. And you loved the two walks as much as you love the homer because Mountcastle doesn't draw enough walks, but he, on Monday night, drew two walks. Uh, the O's on Monday night did win despite a disappointing outing from Kyle Bradish. Uh, he was not good for a second consecutive start of having been good in each of his first two starts since coming off the 15-day entered list. Uh, Bradish was on the 15-day IL from June 24th, retroactive to June 21st to July 29th due to right shoulder inflammation. Bradish on Monday night, three runs in four and two-thirds innings. Uh, he gave up six hits, a homer, a double, and four singles. He issued four walks. He did record five strikeouts, but he over his four and two-thirds innings threw a lot of pitches and a lot of balls. Uh, 96 pitches, just 54 strikes versus 42 balls. Uh, this was Kyle Bradish's second straight start against the Blue Jays. Bradish in the Orioles' 6-5 win over the Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards last Tuesday night, August 9th, three runs in five into third innings. Bradish now in the 2022 regular season, over 14 major league starts, has an ERA of 638 and a whip of 166. It was Brandon Hyde during his postgame session with reporters on Monday night on Kyle Bradish. You know what? I'll tell you what. For me, uh, the big inning there was the was the third when he only gave up two and held the lead. Uh, that could have unraveled quickly. Um, I guess the middle of their order, he gives up the hit to Gurriel, but then he gets the next three guys out. Big, you know, great job uh, staying with it, st- keeping his poise, uh, and keeping keeping the lead for us at that point. Uh, just a few too many walks. This is this is such a tough lineup to go three times through, especially if you're a young pitcher. You really need you really need command of three to four pitches just because they can eliminate stuff and and they're they're extremely tough to pitch to. So he uh, left with the lead and their bullpen did an unbelievable job. Yes, it did. Uh, the Orioles bullpen on Monday night very good once again. Four Orioles relievers combined for four into third scoreless innings with four strikeouts. Uh, Brian Baker was the best of the bunch. One and a third perfect innings 
with two strikeouts. Uh, Dylan Tate, one and two-thirds scoreless innings with two strikeouts, lowering his ERA for the 2022 regular season to 248. Uh, Sino Perez retired the only batter he faced, lowering his ERA for the 2022 regular season to 111. And Felix Batista, a scoreless bottom of the ninth, despite giving up a single and a walk, lowering his ERA for the 2022 regular season to 165. Game two for the O's at the Blue Jays Tuesday night at 7.07. Dean Kramer will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 378. We'll have much more for you from 2022 Commanders Training Camp as they on Tuesday are scheduled to practice beginning at 10 a.m. Uh, also, we'll talk Nationals and Orioles. And that's on Tuesday night at 7.05. We'll begin game two of a three-game series against the Chicago Cubs at Nationals Park. The O's on Tuesday night at 7.07. We'll begin game two of a three-game series at the Toronto Blue Jays. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.